It's Thursday the 14th of November and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, Bolivia's former president escapes to Mexico, calling his removal the most nefarious coup in history. We'll get the insights of Victor Bulma Thomas from Chatham House. To bring the army back into Bolivian politics as effectively as what has happened is frankly uh, disastrous given the role the military has had in the last 200 years. Plus, Germany's defense forces make a bold statement and the world takes notice. Trouble blooms for the Japanese Prime Minister. And our own Chiara Ramella reflects on Venice's rising flood crisis. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Bolivia's former president, Evo Morales, has escaped to Mexico. He resigned on Sunday after weeks of protests over a disputed election. Janine Añez, an opposition senator, has declared herself the new interim president. Mr Morales posted a message on social media calling the situation the sneakiest, most nefarious coup in history. Victor Bulma-Thomas is an associate fellow at Chatham House. We got to this point because there were major concerns about the accuracy of the poll held on October the 20th in Bolivia, and that led to a report by the Organization of American States which concluded that there had been serious irregularities at that point, President Morales offered to uh, rerun the elections and to replace the head of the Supreme Electoral Tribunal. Uh, but in the meantime, the head of the armed forces said, you've got to step down, and he stepped down. While I'm sure there were some irregularities in this election, it's not the only one. And the question is, how best to respond? And I actually think Morales' offer to rerun the elections with or without himself as a candidate, was probably the best one. To bring the army back into Bolivian politics as effectively as what has happened is frankly uh, disastrous, given the role the military has had in the last 200 years in uh, at the head of uh, Bolivian uh, political affairs. I think one looks at this with some dread. Presumably, eventually, there will be... Uh, fresh elections, but without Morales as a candidate. And since he represents roughly half the electorate, it's really difficult to see how those elections would be legitimate because there is no obvious uh, replacement for him. So I'm afraid Bolivia is in for a very turbulent period and uh, whatever satisfaction um, those who've brought him down may currently feel, you can be sure it will be matched by those who feel betrayed by his voluntary exile. If you caught a copy of the Frankfurter Allgemeine newspaper yesterday morning, you might have been a little stunned by the front page image. Germany's defence minister invited 400 new military recruits to cite their oath outside the Reichstag parliament building in Berlin. Monocle's affairs editor Christopher Sermak is here with a copy of the newspaper. Chris, describe what we're seeing here. So on the front page of the paper, you see a picture, basically, of the Reichstag uh, in Germany, in Berlin, with a, a sea of, of soldiers, of recruits, standing in front of it at attention. Um, and so it is quite a striking image, I would say, to see in a, in a German newspaper. And this is actually something that was repeated in other cities in Germany, six cities in total yesterday, 
uh, and it was uh, on the anniversary of the founding of the Bundeswehr, the German army, in 1955. So there is always, as you can imagine, just like internationally, been a certain amount of reticence and controversy when the uh, military in Germany places itself center stage. And this move really is something by the defense minister uh, to challenge that to some degree and say that in the in the world that we're currently living in, it is time for Germany's military to stand up a little bit. And that is something very new. The German military typically is not seen as it might be in other countries as a positive even force. When I lived in Berlin, I had, you know, I, I did a story on this where I spoke to some soldiers who said it was only really from foreigners that they ever got thank you for your service at an airport, but never by Germans themselves. Explain to us why this is so significant and, of course, who the optics of this sort of situation might be aimed at. Yes, very much, as I say, I think this is for a domestic audience much more than a foreign audience. And it is a bit of a recognition that Germany's soldiers also do play, though, a role around the world um, that maybe is not is not quite as known, whether it's in EU forces in the Mediterranean um, uh, or even in Syria, there's there's been roles that the, that uh, or Afghanistan, I should say, uh, there's been roles that the German military is playing quite quietly. Uh, there's been a quiet push to increase defense spending by Angela Merkel and potentially by her successor, the defense minister Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer. So this is sort of closing the gap between what's happening on the ground or in the military, if you will, and the public perception of it, and trying to bring to to draw attention to that. Christopher Sermak, always a pleasure to get your insights. Thank you. To Japan now, where trouble is continuing to blossom for the Prime Minister. Every spring for nearly seven decades, the Japanese government has hosted an invitation-only cherry blossom viewing party in Tokyo for TV and movie stars, top athletes, artists and musicians. But next year, there won't be a party, after Prime Minister Shinzo Abe decided yesterday to cancel the event. Abe is under fire for allegedly doling out invitations last year as part of a package tour to constituents from his home base in southwestern Japan. Opposition lawmakers are asking how the government came up with its guest list and why Abe's supporters arrived by the busload to an event paid for by taxpayers. This year's party cost 55 million yen, or roughly 460,000 euro. By cancelling the event, Abe was hoping he could silence his critics. But it's unlikely that the emboldened opposition will let him off the hook so easily. And finally today, Monocle's culture editor, Chiara Rimella, examines Venice's struggle against rising waters. In 2014, Italian art historian Salvatore Settis published a book called Se Venezia Muore, or If Venice Dies. It's an eye-opening read about cities and the causes of their demise over the course of history. Cities, writes Settis, can die for three reasons. Destroyed by enemies, forcefully occupied and demoted by an invading power, or forgetting their past. Venice's evolution in the last few years, floundering in hordes of tourists, rocked by the passage of huge cruise ships, drowning in increasingly frequent floods, appears to be placing it in the last category. This week's floods, the worst since 1966, have killed two. They have damaged shops, homes and churches. There are many reasons behind the rise in occurrence of aqua alta, the Venetian's term for tidal floods. Climate change, as the city's mayor rightly decried, is certainly one of them. 
the exploitation of poor areas and the damage to the canal's seabed is another. But Venice's inability to protect itself against the oncoming water is also a clear sign of a city with a short memory. A conversation about building a tidal barrier to protect the city began decades ago. That project, called Mose, is still far from completion, marred by overspending and corruption scandals. Setis believes Venice is the most blatant example of the way many of our cities are falling foul to greed-fueled false progress. If Venice dies, he says, it won't be just Venice dying, the very idea of a city will die. That's why not only Venice, but all cities need to learn the lagoon's lesson. Only preserving its history and respecting its heritage will rescue it now. Our culture editor, Chiara Ramella there. That's all in today's program. You can read and subscribe to our daily email bulletin at our website, monocle.com. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday. Thank you.